this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <coughs> and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, let's just uh, bow in prayer as we uh, come to think about the uh, great events of Easter. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And we pray as we look at this passage from Scripture now that you would inform our minds and transform our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you uh, to think about uh, the question of what do people these days think about Jesus? Uh, what, uh, what thoughts, what impressions, uh, what uh, ideas do people have about Jesus. Now one of my friends who's sitting here in the congregation today uh, who uh, teaches scripture lessons in one of our local primary schools told me the other day what happened in her class just recently. Uh, when she mentioned the name Jesus Christ, uh, one of the little kindy kids became upset. Can you think of why he would become upset uh, when she mentioned Jesus Christ? Yeah, she thought, the kid thought that uh, she was swearing uh, in class. And uh, I guess that you can understand that uh, because that's fair enough in some senses because there are uh, uh, people uh, in our culture, in our society, for whom Jesus is not a whole lot more than a swear word. And uh, that's a very sad thing that... Uh, his name is a word which is used as an expletive. Uh, most people, though, do think more deeply about Jesus than that. 
uh, in an article which was published in the Melbourne Age newspaper a few years ago, they uh, surveyed Australians to find out what people thought about Jesus. Uh, intriguingly, there was about 12% of people surveyed said that they did not believe that Jesus ever existed. Uh, they said that Jesus was just a myth, that uh, he's just a, uh, someone who's been made up uh, by, by the uh, writers of the Bible and by the church. Uh, then there were 39% of people surveyed who said that, yes, they believe that Jesus existed. Well, that's a good start. But uh, they said that Jesus, in their view, did not have any miraculous powers, that he was just a man. And actually, I think that seems to fit with a lot of what people say about Jesus. Uh, you may have different impressions of uh, the thinking of people in our society, but uh, it seems to me that there are some people who really admire Jesus as being an exceptional human being, uh, a good man who brought us moral teachings, uh, moral teachings which, which still shape our, our thinking today, uh, such as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or as some say, before they do unto you, but that's another story. Um, or the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Beatitudes, the, the person who is blessed. And that's the kind of thinking which uh, also slides into the view that uh, Jesus uh, was the founder of a great world religion. That's who he is, that he's uh, in the same category as Mohammed and Buddha and Jesus, the founder of a great religion. And then there are people who say that Jesus was a great inspirational man, a man who had uh, convictions, a man who had the courage to speak and to stand out, to stand up against the uh, corrupt authorities of his time. But like many other such great figures from history, uh, he was ultimately martyred because of the power of those uh, authorities. So there are just some of the views that people have about Jesus. And I guess the question today is what does the Bible say about who Jesus is? Now uh, usually at our Good Friday service uh, we, uh, I would take a passage from one of the eyewitness accounts of the death of Jesus uh, from one of the Gospels and uh, we would uh, look at what the people who were there on that day said about Jesus. But over the last couple of Sundays in church, we've been looking at a letter uh, in the New Testament. It's a letter which the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, he wrote it to a, a group of Christians who were living in a town called Colossae. Uh, Colossae uh, doesn't exist anymore. It's no more than an archaeological dig in what we would call modern-day Turkey. Uh, but in the first century, it was a town. It had at one point been a thriving city. And there were a group of people who were followers of Jesus uh, living in Colossae. And at that time, those Christians needed to be reminded of uh, two important truths. They needed to be reminded of A, who Jesus is, and B, why he died. Uh, 
Now, I reckon they're the questions that we need to think about too, don't we? Especially on this Good Friday. And so I've uh, printed for you on your service sheets there just a small portion from that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians living in Colossae. And I'm going to draw out a couple of points from that uh, passage this morning. And I guess the first thing we need to think about is what does Paul say about who Jesus is? Uh, Is Jesus just an exceptional human being, uh, a moral teacher, the founder of a new religion? Well, actually all of those things are true, but no, that's not what makes Jesus distinct. Friends, the Bible makes claims about Jesus which are absolutely extraordinary claims. Some people say that the claims that the Bible makes about Jesus are in fact outrageous claims, incredible claims. Let me just show you a few of those claims from the passage. Um, Let me read from the beginning, from verse 15. Uh, where it says of Jesus, and you might want to follow this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Extraordinary claims, aren't they? I mean, what is the Bible claiming about Jesus? Well, the claim is that the entire creation, the entire universe, has been made by him. Friends, that claim is a claim that Jesus is God. Now, how can that be? How can a man be God? Um, These days, there is a lot of discussion about uh, the question of whether or not God even exists. And I don't know if you follow that discussion. Uh, Watch Q&A on ABC television on Monday night. Uh, George Pell versus Richard Dawkins. That'll be an interesting discussion. Uh, And and I I think that there's healthy discussion uh, about whether or not God exists because, you know what, when people want to say that he doesn't exist, it actually gets the issue onto the agenda, onto ABC television, Monday night, Q&A. Friends, when we look at the universe... Uh, and there are many people such as myself and I know many of you, when we look at the universe, uh, we would say that the evidence of a designer-creator is all around. Uh, Just look at the planet itself. Uh, In order for life to exist, there must be certain conditions that are met. Uh, The Earth must be the right size. Uh, the, The Earth must rotate at a certain speed. Uh, It must be the right distance from the sun. Uh, It must be on the right tilt so as to create the seasons. 
we need light, but not too much ultraviolet light. We need heat, but not too much infrared light. And many people would say that, uh, that it is just obvious that this is the work of a designer, that someone has put this together, someone has engineered and designed and built this. But others would say that no, all of those things are true, plus a zillion other things, but that in itself is not proof that God exists. It still could theoretically all happen uh, as a matter of chance. And so there is this robust debate that goes on and on. Let me ask you this. If you were God the creator, and if you wanted to communicate clearly with the creation, uh, if you wanted your creatures to get to know you personally, how would you do that? What would you do? Well, friends, the Bible tells us that uh, we can know about God from looking at the created order, but the Bible also tells us that God has revealed himself to us most clearly by becoming one of us. Uh, the reason that scientists can't prove, can't give 100% proof that God does or does not exist in a scientific way, the reason they can't give that 100% proof one way or the other is because God is spirit. He is invisible. And the only way that we could see God would be if he made himself visible. And God has done that in the most clear and the most loving way possible. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Take a look at what else it says about Jesus. In verse 16, the apostle makes the boldest claim possible. He, he makes the claim that the countless billions and trillions and zillions of planets and stars and everything right down to the smallest microbe has been created by Jesus. And in verse 19, that God was pleased to have all of his fullness to dwell in him. Now think about it. If everything that there is about God dwelt in a person, who would that person be? God. That person would be God. Friends, as human beings, uh, you and I are the absolute summit, the absolute pinnacle of God's creation. Um, we're not like the other animals. I mean, we are like the other animals in the sense that we live. We're not like rocks. or you know, we, we live, we breathe, uh, we think, and so on. But what makes us so fundamentally different is that we have a consciousness of God. Uh, and we have a, we, we're the kind of people, the creature who asks questions about God. In, indeed, we have a desire to be connected to God. The reason for that is that we've been wired that way. 
that uh, God has made us as the pinnacle of his creation in order that we would be creatures who would have a relationship with him, a personal connectedness, a relationship with the God of the universe, that we would be his creatures who would rule over his planet under his authority, but that we would do so in a way that we express our love for him, our honour towards him and our obedience to him. After all, he did make us. He did create us. Now the problem is that this is not actually the way that things are when you look at the world. Take a look at what Paul uh, said to the Christians in Colossae. If you go down to verse 21 in the second paragraph there, and this is what he says to these Christians. He says to them, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Alienated from God. Have you ever felt alienated from someone? I'm sure you have. It's a common human experience. You know what it's like, don't you? Just, uh, you know, you see that person down the street and your heart starts to beat a bit faster and you, you want to avoid that person. You don't want to. You might pass by them and exchange pleasantries, but you're glad it's over when you walk away because there is this barrier that, for whatever reason, has built up between you and that person. You are alienated from them. And friends, what the Bible tells us is that there is a, an alienation, there is a barrier between us and God. Now we all know that none of us have loved and honoured and obeyed God in the way that we should. I mean, the world's not the way it should be, is it? You know, one glance of the newspaper will tell us that. We read of wars and murders and assaults and corruption and pornography and internet abuse and the list just goes on and on and on and it just seems endless day after day after day. There's nothing new. But it's not just the stuff that makes the news, is it, that, uh, that really matters. The truth is that not one of us puts God first in our lives. Uh, we may not make the headlines but, and we may indeed even be hard-working and uh, reasonably moral people and we always try to do the right thing by our neighbour and so on, but yet in our hearts we know that we don't put God first. We tend to live our lives the way we want to live our lives, not the way that God wants us to live. And we know that uh, uh, there are things in our thought life, there are things in our heart, we know that there are many things that we would be really ashamed if others knew about. That's true of all of us. But God knows about those things. And we are alienated from God, which means that God has every right to be angry with us. What do we need? We need to be reconciled to God. Now, there are two main images that I think that people have of Jesus. One is the, uh, the sweet, 
little newborn, cute baby in the manger with the cattle lowing and the sheep baying and so on. That's the image of Christmas. Uh, when God the Son became a living human like us. The other image is the image of a grown man, battered, bleeding, hanging and dying on a cross. That's the image of Easter. When God the Son became a sacrifice for us. See how Paul puts this in verses 19 through to 20. Verse 19, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, a number of years ago, a young uh, Japanese couple from a Buddhist background uh, came to church on Good Friday. And it was great to see them. But after the service, they took me aside and, uh, and they said to me, look, we're, we're a bit confused. Uh, they said, uh, today you remember the death of your leader. Is that right? I said, Yes. Well, why do you call this day good? How can that be good? That's a great question, isn't it? It's a terrific question. Because the death of Jesus was both dreadful and yet it was also good. For it was not simply the execution of an exceptional human being, a great moral crusader, a social revolutionary or the founder of a world religion. No, this was the death of God become man. Why did Jesus die? Well, Paul says that we were alienated from God because of our sin. But the death of Jesus means that we can be reconciled. Jesus died in order to make peace between us and God, between you and God between me and God. How did he do that? He did that by paying the price for our guilt himself. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the penalty for all of our sin was being poured out on him instead of us. I saw a cartoon on the internet the other day. Two boys talking to each other. And one boy said, I don't like it that they call this day Good Friday because this is the day that my Lord died. And the other boy said, well, if you were about to be executed on a cross and someone said, I'll do it for you, what would you say that was? He said, I'd say it was pretty good. That's what Jesus has done for us, that all of our guilt, the penalty for our sin has been poured out on him so that Jesus has been punished in our place. Now, friends, this is an absolutely extraordinary claim because remember who he is. He is the one who has created all things 
He is the one in whom all of the fullness of God dwells and yet he was the one who died as a sacrifice for us. How powerful do you think his sacrifice would be? How effective would it be? Powerful enough to pay for your sins? My sins? Powerful enough to pay for the sins of any person who turns back to God? Any person? No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how they've lived, no matter how, they've, how many people they've hurt? Powerful enough to pay for their sin? Indeed. Indeed, the death of Jesus on the cross, the death of God become flesh, is powerful to pay for the guilt of any person who truly says to God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for ignoring you and living my life my way, not your way. And change me. Please change me so that I might start living my life not for me, but for God. Well, I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if you're a person who's put your trust in the death of Jesus to pay for your sin. If you have, then my encouragement to you today is to keep on putting your trust in Jesus. Paul actually said to the Colossians that he was writing to, uh, not to not to move away from that, not to move on to other things, but to keep your... It's like a friend was sharing with me uh, the other day that he uh, was walking on a glacier and you have certain kind of boots that you, that you use when you're walking on a glacier and they've got these sharp things that dig into the ice so that you've got more than just traction, you've got absolute grip and that's the image we've got to keep on trusting in Christ and not shifting away from him like someone walking on ice with a boots dug firmly into the ground maybe you haven't yet put your trust in Christ maybe you're someone maybe you've been coming along to church you might even be someone who's part of a member of the church family maybe growing up with mum and dad who are Christians and you've heard about Jesus, but you know you haven't really staked your life uh, in trusting in him. Today might be a good day to do that as we reflect on his death on our behalf. Or it may be that you're someone who uh, has come along today and uh, that you're uh, uh, wanting to find out more about uh, Jesus and I would say that Easter is a great time to think about these issues. Think about what people th say about Jesus. Some people say that Jesus was just an exceptional human being. And if that were true, if Jesus was just an exceptional human being who died on a cross one day, then do you reckon that that's that it would be reasonable that 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet that we Aussies would stop work for the day? 
down tools just to remember the day that he died? Is that a reasonable thing for us to do if he's just an ordinary human being? Actually, we Aussies don't need much of a reason to down tools, do we? And, uh, you know, this is the land of the long weekend. And this time of year, great day today, isn't it? Terrific for a barbecue. You can still warm enough to go down to the beach and chocolate Easter eggs on Sunday morning. Has anyone started eating those as yet? Yeah, okay. But friends, I want to say it's a great time for us to stop work, to press the pause button on life and to think carefully about who Jesus is, why he died and how we, how you, ought to respond to that. Let's pray about those things, shall we? Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to um, down tools, to press the pause button so that we might think uh, more deeply about the one who died 2,000 years ago. Uh, We pray for each one of us that we would uh, understand what the scriptures are saying and that we would uh, make a right response uh, to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.